Content warning. This episode of The Weekly contains discussions of anti-Asian racism and gun violence. Welcome to The Weekly on WOBC Oberlin 91.5 FM, Oberlin College, and Community Radio. I'm Owen Anderson, and with me is Jamie Yu. We are the news directors for WOBC this academic year. We hope you all are doing well. For today's show, Jamie and I will be having a conversation about her recently published article for the Oberlin Review. This is her first article for the Review in over a year and covers the first Asian Cultural Arts Festival, hosted by the recently rebranded Asians in America Alliance, or AAA. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing? Hi, Owen. I'm doing really well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Jamie, would you please give us the background information for Asians in America Alliance, um, otherwise known as AAA? Yeah, absolutely. So AAA is fundamentally an identity-based organization, but it's also a political organization that's rooted in a lot of student activism. Um, Just going off of its official description on their Facebook page, it's a student organization at Oberlin College dedicated to serving the Asian diaspora community through several purposes, um, such as addressing the issues facing Asians in the United States, um, providing providing support for members of the Oberlin College Asian American community through educational, political, and social programs, maintaining alliances and coalitions among people of color and other marginalized communities to hold Oberlin College accountable for eradicating institutional racism and uh, to foster mutual respect and reinforce solidarity, and to recognize um, the contributions of the Asian American community, as well as um, the role of Asian American studies in Oberlin College. It's, it's, basically, it's been around for almost 50 years, which is a really big deal, um, and that I would be happy to talk about further. Um, and it's mainly through, um, so far, it's, it's been a, a series of um, Dis- like discussion-based meetings and also occasionally events. Um, something that we've been trying to get restarted is the um, the the biannual conference um, held around. It's a regional event that's that is usually held every two years, and unfortunately, it didn't come to pass in 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, so right now, our really big goal is kind of getting that off the ground again. Yeah, as you just said, it's an organization that's been around for a while. Um, in your article, you mentioned that it was founded in the 1970s. What do you know about AAA's evolution? Um, I can't really speak too much to how it's evolved in the past 50 years because I've only been at Oberlin since 2018. Um, but I will say that in terms of its inception, uh, this is something that I've uh, learned about in my Asian American history class with Professor Shelley Lee. But Um, AAA is not isolated to Oberlin. It really got its start during the civil rights movement. And in the late 60s, uh, black people were not the only racial group that were, that were organizing and demanding civil rights, but there was an entire ongoing movement within the Asian American community, along with, and starting with the name Asian American, um, because there wasn't really any sort of cohesive name for this very broad group in America until then. And, uh... It's actually not that old. Um, in 1968, it's said that Yuji Ichioka and Emma G first publicly used the term when they created the Asian American Political Alliance, or AAPA, when they were students at UC Berkeley. Um, 
And another part of that unit that we learned in that class was, was the San Francisco State University strike from 1968 to 1969. And it's still the longest student strike in history, and it was also started by Asian American students. Um, and that was what led to the first School of Ethnic Studies in San Francisco. So these events are directly responsible for why we call Asian Americans Asian Americans, um, and why we have ethnic studies at, in higher education. So Hispanic studies at Oberlin, Indigenous studies, Asian American studies, we all really have this specific era and these this generation of students to thank for that. Um, so, you know, we, we like to joke at Oberlin that how Oberlin is kind of in its own bubble. Um, but really, like AAA back in 1972 was in direct response to what was going on in the world at the time, um, or at least the nation. So um, it, it definitely has its roots in that era of political activism, which I think is really interesting. And even um, during the teach-in that happened in, uh, I believe it was late March, um, we did have the original cohort of students from the 70s that graduated in, in I believe, 1975. They were, not, they were not in the Zoom call, but they were in the chat, and they, um, they said hi, and that was a pretty surreal um, to be like, oh my gosh, you are part of history, like you made history at Oberlin, um, and they were all very friendly. So it's, it's really remarkable to think about how, like, um, how individual students and waves of students can really make their mark on history. And um, I, think, I think that's also why it's, it's so important to revitalize AAA now and, and keep it going and make sure that it continues to uphold that legacy for, for many more years. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for that um, historical context as well. Um, yeah, let's keep talking about this. Um, tell me more about uh, AAA um, in its current form now that it's being revitalized? Yeah, so um, I am not uh, I- I'm not taking it on a role as to an extent as Elise and Amber and other people, um, but when I was talking to Elise, a big part of it, along with Noah, when I was talking to Noah Kaguchi, um, they talked a lot about the rebranding starting with the renaming, um, and a big part of that push was because um, Asian American is a is a new label and it's very broad and I think it speaks to like because it's so new and so politicized it has the capacity to evolve a lot um, and that reflects in Asian American Alliance as well um, there have there are more international students than there were in the 70s um, and something that Elise told me was how they were hoping that renaming the organization would help it reflect the current student body a bit more and be more inclusive, um, starting with including international students because international students are not Asian American, but they are uh, living in the United States for the time that they are here. Um, Another big part was moving away from a mostly East Asian-centered space um, because Elise also talked about how when they were at early meetings, they felt sort of out of place as a half Southeast Asian person, um, and also that they want to rebrand the organization um, to be intentionally broader, to include people with different amounts of cultural knowledge, because a, let's say, a Chinese-American child of immigrants living in San Francisco is going to know a lot, like, have a very different experience than um, someone who grew up in the Deep South, or someone who only represent someone who only represents like a small 
proportion of their, their identity in their hometown. Another big part of it was to broaden it a little bit for people on campus who don't have any sort of ethnic-specific organization. Like, we have Chinese Student Association, um, Filipino Student Association, but Elise gave an example of such as, like, what if you were the only Afghan student, um, or if you were the only representative of, like, a certain group in India, or something like that. Elise, Elise themselves is actually, um, well, they identify as Vietnamese, but they belong to an indigenous minority group in Vietnam. So that's that's like a very specific identity, but they still want to identify as Asian American, but they might not have that ethnic specific space. So for people like Elise, it's like they really want AAA to kind of be that um, that safe space for them, really. And I think it makes a lot of sense um, because... It's true, like, if, if this is meant to be kind of the, I suppose, the more catch-all organization, it can't just be centered around um, East Asian students who are fully Asian, are a mixed race, who are only from certain regions of the world or the United States, um, or who, like, you know, come into the organization with a certain amount of knowledge and then they come, might end up unintentionally excluding people who, who do need to, like, learn more or want to know more about certain aspects of Asian culture or history. Um, and even like myself, like I, it was really eye-opening to take Asian American history this semester and, and find out just how much I didn't know. Um, and how, but also like, you know, not everyone is going to have the opportunity to, to take a class like that. So I think that's why, again, like why AAA is important as an educational space as well. Um, so it's, it's meant, the rebranding is kind of meant to acknowledge like it needs to serve multiple purposes. Um, it needs to serve a wider variety of people um, to reflect how America is becoming more diverse than it was in the 70s, and I think that's all really important. Great. Thank you. The impetus for this article was the first Asian Cultural Arts Festival, which took place on May 4th of this year. Could you describe uh, your experience for us? So it was, uh, unfortunately, it had to be held fully remotely because of the weather, but it worked out for me because I'm a remote student and I was able to watch it. Um, so it was, uh, it was honestly like a really great time. Um, it was really wonderful to have a designated space for Asian students on campus to be heard and to um, take up space in a very intentional way. Um, and you know, we started out with some poetry readings, and that was all very personal and like emotional uh, poems, and, and the poets were very brave and very vulnerable in that. Um, and then we moved into more like musical performances. And what I find interesting is that um, the name Asian Cultural Arts Festival kind of implies that it's going to be rooted in like very specific Asian traditions and cultural practices. But actually, a lot of the musical performances were also featuring just students of Asian descent performing um, on their instruments, whether that's like marimba or classical instruments or classical music. And I think that really speaks to what Amber and I were talking about and how the festival isn't just to um, feature like traditions from Asia, but to actually honor and uplift Asian American voices on this campus. Um, because a big thing of what she talked about was how a lot of, in her experience and in a lot of her friends' experience, they've kind of been compelled to sort of take a back seat to everything. And they're not used to um, kind of advocating for themselves or 
talking about their accomplishments. And she gave examples like Noah, for example, composed like an entire 22-minute piece on his saxophone, and she thought that was amazing. And she and she wanted him to have the space to to, to really showcase that and how he had not really been able to do so um, because I think that's just how we navigate campus in general and how I think more broadly how Asian Americans tend to navigate the American cultural fabric because we're just so used to taking a backseat again and being quiet and um, and kind of existing in the background and I think the fact that this festival was the first of its kind really speaks to how used like how accustomed we were to just being in the background and I don't think it was anything malicious or intentionally meant to silence us it was just kind of how we how we learned to exist and I really appreciated that Amber had that intention for the festival um, and how the festival itself was like very celebratory in that way yeah so this student that you're talking about that you who you interviewed Amber Scherer um, led the creation of this festival and part of Amber's idea for the festival was to move away from uh, what she describes as performative pity could you explain what performative pity means to you yeah so this is kind of something that I picked up on in not only my conversation with Amber, but also Elise. Um, Elise explained to me that when the the March 16th shootings happened, um, they were really caught up on just the, the stream of news on social media and how there were tons of these infographics on Asian American history and racism, especially on Instagram. And they said, I couldn't look away, but I was also so upset because I think I, I definitely understand I was not on social media I didn't really see them firsthand but I definitely understand because it's like you know how do you talk about racism when it's just like an infographic on Instagram um, and Amber and Elise both talked about how like they felt overly simplified and they felt almost patronizing in how they simplified the issue or even like those infographics where it's like how to talk to your friends about racism um, and it's just like, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. And it can, it's really frustrating to suddenly be thrust into the spotlight like this. And um, this is something that we talked about previously, but it's like, I don't know how to respond. If someone came up to me, like, tell me how I can help. I'm like, I don't, I don't have any one answer. Um, and it's, it's, it's not something that can be answered in like one sitting. Uh, it's a very complicated issue and it has historical roots that go back centuries and it would take a very long time to really like educate everyone about like the full context around all of this. Um, so performative pity, I think would be kind of like how these infographics were kind of made in response to a very timely event. But the problem with social media is that it's so easy for news to get drowned out and then it makes these tragedies just feel like fads. And that's, well, devastating. I mean, it's, it's devastating and it's, um, it feels dismissive, and it's really hard to like uh, to keep things relevant, which I really wish wasn't the case. Um, I think when when Amber and Elise talk about performative pity, they mean like the kind of very superficial condolences that happen in the immediate wake of a tragedy, but then they kind of fade out as the news cycle inevitably continues. Um, which is why I think it's important to keep like real conversations going about all this stuff because 
you know, the, the shootings happened over a month ago, but it's not like racism is over um, until it reappears again. That's not how it works. And I think if we want to invoke real change, we have to move away from performative pity and instead, like, care about these things before tragedy strikes. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do um, because, you know, we live in such a complicated society. But I think it's important to, like, to acknowledge marginalized communities simply as they are before before tragedy hits them and um to to be aware and like um on an everyday basis i guess is 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 how we move away from performative pity great thank you so um as you mentioned you also talked to elise steenberg um another student who has been creating spaces to talk more in depth about um, the tragedy of the March 16th shooting and ongoing anti-Asian sentiment. And they described having a bit of imposter syndrome when talking at a teaching panel, um, but then also ultimately having a rewarding experience. And I I was just thinking about this, and I think this pressure is is common um, and often discourages people from sharing their story so what do you think and have you experienced imposter syndrome um actually before i answer this question i was curious as to like what what observations you've made um to conclude that you think this pressure is common i've heard um from friends uh, especially in high school when um conversations about racism came up and when they would be the only uh, person in the room as a member of that community, it was hard when people would just want to hear from them, but also not in a sense hear from them as their own personal story, but just hear from them what it was like to be a person of that community. And that can be hard um, when someone says like, oh, what is it like to be an Asian American? What is it like to be a black person? Um, what is it like to be a member of the LGBTQ plus community? Um, and I think that's often the way that question is phrased seems very hard to answer because when someone doesn't have like <laughs> data <laughs> with them, um, it's hard to speak about other people's experiences. Um, and it's much easier to talk about your own because that's what you know best. And that's where people can learn from that, I think. It's unfair to defer to people and treat them as a representative in their entire community. Um, especially when they're not prepared to do that. Yeah, especially, and, and also if you ask them, if they're forced to rely on their own personal information, that forces them to be vulnerable in a way that they may not want to be. So yeah, I do understand. Um, okay, so imposter syndrome. Um, have I experienced it? Yeah, to an extent, but I feel like the imposter syndrome that Elise was was, was referring to specifically was because they were mixed race. Um, and that is something I cannot relate to, so I, I don't want to attempt to, to speak on that. But I think for me personally, I do understand to an extent because uh, I guess imposter syndrome for me is like the fear that I might not be informed enough or that my experiences are too narrow. I mean... I grew up in suburban New Jersey, and I'm just one person among so many. Um, 
And I think it speaks to how like Asian American as a label is so broad. Um, I mean, I'm sure when it was created in the late sixties, I, I don't think it was actually meant to like encompass the people that are here now because the late sixties was like before widespread, um, widespread migration from Southeast Asia happened before we really included Pacific Islanders in the label, which is, which in itself is like a whole nother issue. Um, before we included mixed race Asians, um, and not just like, you know, half white Asians, but also like half black Asians, half, um, half Latinx Asians, half Asians who are Asians of different ethnic groups, um, cause that's also a, a big part of it. Um, it, it, I mean, Asian American technically encompasses people who belong to minority groups in other Asian countries. Um, or again, like, um, just, just like a lot of little micro identities that don't really get accounted for. And I think it speaks to like, you know, like, and then, and then when you consider all that, it's like, well, who am I to speak on behalf of Asian Americans? I'm like just one random fully Chinese person who lives in the East coast of the United States. And that's, that's like, that's not representative of the entire community. Um, so I feel, I, I feel like I can speak on behalf of my experiences, but only to a certain extent. And then I know that like, at some point I've hit a wall and like, I can't speak for everybody. So do I feel imposter syndrome? I think it depends on what topic we're talking about. I mean, obviously I can't speak to the experiences of being mixed race or being anything other than East Asian. Um, so I think that makes the topics that I can talk about a bit more narrow. But I think because I'm Chinese and that's like such a huge group, I haven't really been in a lot of situations where I needed to talk about something beyond myself. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky topic. Um, so I would say yes, but also because I know that I belong to a group that's like very, very widely known and recognized. Um, like I say, I could say my family is from China. Everyone knows what that means. If I said my family was from like Myanmar, they'd be like, where is that? But actually, it's it's a country in Southeast Asia that's like right next to Thailand. Um, but a lot of people don't know about it. So, yeah, that, that I, I hope that answers your question. I think it does. Thank you. Another thing Elise talks about um, is grappling with the quote-unquote legacy of AAA and Oberlin College. Um, can you talk more about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can. Um, so this is something that didn't make it into the actual article, but while I was talking to Elise, um, we did talk a little bit about the legacy of Oberlin. Um, and I said that, you know, Oberlin really touts, touts itself on its diversity and its, um, its historical significance of being the first school to admit women and black students. But I said how that, that is really important, but it's not enough to just have that legacy and expect it to carry you for over 200 years and you have to actively maintain it. And I think part of that maintaining involves interrogating student organizations like AAA. Um, and then maybe, I think it is really relevant to ask, like, is Asian American Alliance still a relevant title when we have international students who want to get involved? Or, um, or you know, South or Southeast Asian students who don't feel included. Um, and I said, it's a very tricky topic because, you know, this organization was founded in the 70s and you do want to honor that legacy as well and how it was founded during like a time of great political upheaval. 
um, and you want to honor the people who, who were brave enough to create it in the first place. But at the same time, you know, it's been nearly 50 years since 1972, and a lot has changed, which is a very good thing. Um, and I think as part of that change, we should also be willing to adapt to the times and, and maybe shift our expectations. Like, I think AAA could stand to be more inclusive. I think it could stand to be serve the needs of today's students better. And I think it's not a bad thing to like interrogate that and update it for today's times. And something that Lee said is like, if if AAA is currently not serving the needs of current students, then that is a problem, and we have to address that. So I, I do think it's really important to um, to think about it critically as well. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Like history is important, um, and it's how we got where we are. But if we lose sight of the present and what's what events are going on now um there's not as much of a a point is there anything else you'd like to add um well firstly it was wonderful to have the opportunity to write this article um and to come back to the review after over a year and um a, a big impetus for for writing this is um after uh after the shootings and after everything i thought about like how what else can i really say about this topic. I wrote that article in March 2020 over a year ago and we we're just now getting a Twitter hashtag that isn't even really being used anymore so that really speaks to like kind of passing fads of social media but I really was drawn to this pitch because it allowed me to write about uh, AAA and the efforts of Asian American students but in a very positive way. I don't want to like wallow in like the the tragedy and the hardships forever um and i really wanted the opportunity to like put a positive spin on it and say like this is how we're responding in a constructive and productive way this is how we're um making space for ourselves and taking that and and claiming it and claiming it proudly and um and i wanted to keep that positive tone in the article but i think my actual conversations with elise and amber they were very, very candid and very honest. And um, I wouldn't say they were angry, like not at all. Like we were not really angry when we were talking about it. But I think I really appreciate it. I know Amber and Elise did too. The, the opportunity to talk about these topics like in a very honest way. Um, and I could tell like they were conveying a lot of pent up frustration, um, not only around the shootings and around um, historical racism, but also about how, like, their own experiences at Oberlin and how they had realized that they had, um, kind of been compelled to be silent about it and, like, just ignore it or not make a big deal out of it. And Amber especially talked to me about how she, she said she's definitely had experiences with yellow fever at Oberlin, um, and she even gave an example of how three Asian American student senators quit, um, just one after the other, and nobody said anything and nobody made a, um, a connection and she said that these senators like felt so ignored and overworked and they just had no choice but to leave and and she said that after the third one left she she thought like why is no one saying anything um and i think it's because like how again like we've just been conditioned to not make a big deal out of things and in response i said how um it was true, like, a lot of current Asian Americans were really shocked by the Atlanta shooting, and they just didn't think that it would get, like, quote-unquote, get this bad. Um, and I think that speaks to how, like, historically, a lot of Asian Americans have been conditioned to just think that, oh, we don't have it so bad, we should just stay quiet. Like, 
just put our head down and, and just work our way through the system and, and we'll be fine. But like the truth is we like we have to be we have to take an active role in American racial politics and society because no one else is gonna do that for us. Um and we have to speak up for ourselves. And um it was a really gratifying experience to just talk about that with them. Um and also uh again like the, the festival itself wasn't just to honor um, Asian traditions and, and music, but also to give Asian student musicians a space after so many of us have felt compelled to constantly take a back seat in Amber's words and remain quiet, which I think is really important. So, so like for me personally, it was very gratifying to write about this and kind of get it out there. And then I know for, and for me personally, it was really gratifying to talk about it with Amber and Elise. Um, and I'm really hoping that this isn't a one-time thing like I really want this to keep going and I really want um, Asian American students to feel like they deserve to be heard and uh, that's that's really why I wanted to write the article and get that out there great I think that's a perfect note to end on thank you for talking Jamie yeah thank you so much for having me on I really enjoy getting to, to talk about this You're listening to WOBC Oberlin, 91.5 FM, Oberlin College, and Community Radio. This is The Weekly. Thank you for listening. And now we would like to air the extended cuts of Jamie's interviews. The first interview is with Elise Steenberg, Class of 2022, about the revitalization of Asians in America Alliance. Well, Elise, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I guess to start out, I just want to ask you, uh, how involved were you in AAA before this year? Um, not very. <laughs> in my first year, I remember going to a couple of the meetings at the beginning, and I remember very vividly, like, some topics about, like, the model minority myth, about toxic masculinity, um, just very, like, heavy educational teach-ins. Um, and then also a couple of just like art making events. Um, but I never really felt a true connection and I just had my own personal identity, pro- uh, like politics to work through. So I didn't really end up going after, uh, like after the first semester, first year. Um, but then this year, like realized how important this space is and that it needs to come back. Mm-hmm. I remember at, um, the, the Zoom meeting that we were at a few weeks ago, you briefly mentioned how you being mixed race kind of made it made the space feel a little bit less welcoming to you. Did you want to talk more about that or maybe how AAA wasn't a super ideal space before? Yeah, um, I definitely didn't know how I fit in because um, the term Asian American sort of holds this very like deep connotation to me that I've been like in the process of unlearning sort of like of rooted Asians in America, you know, like multi-generational um, families and my mom's an immigrant and then my dad is white. Um, and so I didn't know where I fit into that narrative because yes, I am American and yes, I have Asian heritage, um, but I didn't understand or didn't know if that counted as Asian American um, with the hyphen and all of that. Um, Yeah. And so I think when I went into that space, it was very East Asian centric and um, everyone was also already friends with each other and coming in as a first year with not really many friends in the same space was very sort of ostracizing. And I didn't know um, if I could engage in the space in the same way as other people did. And I also didn't have the same knowledge that 
I assumed everyone else did had about being Asian American um, and sort of ascribed that to my personality and upbringing um, and history with identity. So that's part of the reason why I didn't feel um, included in that space being mixed race. And this is something we've talked about in Shelley Lee's class too, but the, the label itself is so broad, it just makes the whole idea of the organization really difficult to navigate because it's just like everyone is coming in with different amounts of knowledge um, depending on where they grew up or how they grew up or how much of their native culture they were immersed in before. It, it does make it sometimes difficult to find that sort of unifying uh, force within all of it, so I, I definitely understand. And for me personally, um, I, I only went to one meeting of AAA in the spring of my first year, and I definitely felt like everyone, like everyone did already know each other by that point. Um, and the meeting I went to was just kind of like making posters for some event that I didn't know about, and I was kind of confused as to like, okay, so what is like the overall purpose of this meeting beyond just making posters? Like, what are we actually doing? Um, and I think that's also why I, I didn't really go back after that. But I guess like you know, while we're on the topic. Um, so, like this year, there's been definitely like a push to revitalize the organization. So um, I didn't join until a little bit later after Shelly Lee kind of added me to the email chain, but it, it was kind of your initial idea, right? So I wanted to ask you more about like what made you want to revitalize the organization and how did that happen? When did that start? What did you do? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so after the shooting in Atlanta, um, I would just be scrolling on Instagram and stuff and just have just a wall of all of these infographics and Instagrams and everyone posting on their story. And I like couldn't turn away, but it also made me so, so upset um, just seeing that and being reminded of that and just how like fetishized, objectified, like racialized, like my body is and then the bodies of Asian American women. Um, and so seeing those, I, you know, was filled with all of these emotions that I didn't really know what to do with. Um, and I didn't feel like I had a proper space to express those emotions or talk about those. And in class, Professor Lee did like bring it up and was like, does anyone want to talk about it? But nobody really, you know, sort of started the conversation. Um, and so I took it upon myself to organize a little Zoom meeting um, for people who wanted to talk about this because I'd seen everyone post about it on social media, but I was not hearing anyone talk about it in real life other than that. Um, and I felt like that would have been a good space for AAA to come in and host like an open space for people to grieve, to, you know, be in support of one, each one another. Um, and so I just quickly put together my own little Zoom meeting and had people um, show up. And even Professor Nunley showed up and like helped uh, sort of facilitate that space and act as like a, like a middleman between like the students and the administration and just sort of what we envisioned for Oberlin. Um, and so after that, Hans was also in that chat and the two of us were, were kind of talking about how like AAA could have been this space to hold the Zoom meeting instead of me personally holding it. Um, and so we started talking together about like what happened to AAA, how can we bring it back um, and make it into that space where, you know, Asians in America, Asian Americans, whatever we want to call it, um, can come together and grieve together, support one another, but then also work towards activism um, against these kinds of anti-Asian hate and stuff like that. And for context, um, AAA had kind of fizzled out when the pandemic started. There were talks to have the conference that didn't happen. Um, so when when was this Zoom panel that you 
organized? When was it? March 18th was when I created the little graphic and just like in one day was spreading it all around Instagram. And then the Zoom was the March 19th at night. Yeah. So from there, um, I guess more broadly, like you, you wanted to take the kind of the conversation from the the Zoom meeting and, and apply it to like revitalizing AAA. Um, did you have anything to do with like the teach-in that was that happened later that month or was that more like administration? Um, so that was all on the comparative American studies professors. Um, the faculty all like got together and um, hosted that teach-in, the one on the Monday night. Um, and Professor Lee asked me to talk during that one because um, she had seen that I had, you know, planned the open dialogue and knew that I was very um, trying to get become much more engaged about um, talking about anti-Asian racism and hate on campus and stuff. Um, so that was honestly very hectic. Um, Hans and I were both asked to speak and then sort of that was all we got because all the professors did all the actual planning and so we would you know talk to each other like what are you gonna say what should we say we can't like I can't represent all Asian Americans like I'm only half Asian anyway and then just both of us going back and forth with sort of a bit of imposter syndrome like are we even the right students to be talking at a teaching panel like this but I think it was a very rewarding experience um being able to share my story and also hear the stories of um, the professors and faculty and work closely with them for that panel. Yeah, I definitely understand that too, because it's like, how much do I know? Like, how, how much am I willing to speak on this? And how much does my perspective actually inform what I can say about all this? But yeah. Um, so I guess like going forward with, with everything that's happened, like the teaching, meeting the alumni, including the alumni who founded AAA and, and planning all these events, um, what was that whole, how has the whole month been for you? Like, did you learn anything new? Was it surprising? Um, yeah, my email inbox is constantly full. <laughs> That's the main thing is I'm on so many different email chains with all these different groups and people trying to uh, start things up. Also group me, also WhatsApp. Um, I'm, my phone's blowing up all the time. And I think like one, th one thing that I've really just taken to heart is like, building relationships with people in new ways I feel like when you think of relationships it's either like a professional relationship or support or a friend or you know romantic um and then forging all of these sort of working groups with different people has sort of made me reimagine what it means to be in relationship with others um and I think that has been very, very positive, um, realizing that I have this support network in a way that's not just, you know, emotional support and vulnerability, but support for my passions and what I want to get done. Um, and then also me being there for other people, um, you know, giving my two cents on like an Instagram graphic that they designed or, you know, helping out to make um, some forms or planning or uh, giving, you know, a second opinion on certain ideas and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important during this pandemic, and especially for third years and how like we had the summer and then a lot of us weren't taking classes in the fall either. So I think I didn't realize like how isolated I felt from the campus community until I came back for the spring. And I'm even like remote this semester, but I still feel way more connected to people now and being able to talk very honestly um, about these issues. I think especially through like taking this class too. Um, okay, so. Um, I, I want to ask more broadly about AAA, and, and um, I was interested in your thoughts on why do you think it's important 
to revitalize AAA and give Asian people a cultural space and a space to talk? Oh my gosh, there's so many reasons. I don't even know. Um, I think a big part is like we're also we're all in college, and I think a big part of the college experience is figuring out your identity and like where you fit in and who you are and what you're passionate about. And I think a common space for um, all Asians on campus is an important place to to like sort of figure that out. And not only just figuring out your own identity, but like your relationships with other people and learning more about experiences outside of your own. I think like Oberlin and all other, you know, liberal arts colleges sort of tout like we're so diverse. There's a lot of diversity. But even within that, there seems to be sort of this like hegemonic like ideals of what it means to be Asian American, what it means to be a white American, to a black American, um, you know, a Latinx American. And so I think being able to revitalize AAA is a space where we can, like, because it's so big and overarching, really highlight the true diversity that is here. Um, or maybe even highlight that there's not much diversity. Um, I think that's a big question also, since like historically it's been very East Asian. And is that because the space is not inclusive and inviting? Or is it because Oberlin literally is just predominantly East Asian? Um, like for example, I um, am Rade, my mom, like, so our people are from Vietnam, like physically, geog geographically. Um, but we don't speak Vietnamese at home. Like we have our own language, um, our own cultural traditions. And so while I did join Vietnamese Students Association last year, I didn't really feel a part of it either because I did not understand when they spoke in Vietnamese and organized events in Vietnamese. Um, so I think AAA can be a space for a lot of people who don't have those like bigger cultural orgs who might be the only, you know, Afghan-American um, on campus, who might be the only person from, you know, their linguistic group in India or whatever, um, or even just, you know, someone from Deep South who grew up in a white community and was the only Asian person there. Like, I think there's so many different um, experiences that we can bring together in Asians in America Alliance, AAA, um, and really learn from each other there. Something that Something I was thinking about while you were talking is how, like, Oberlin touts itself on diversity, but I think more in the fact that, like, Oberlin really prides itself on its history and its legacy. But I think a big part of that is that you can't just carry the fact that you were the first school to admit women or, or people of color and have that carry you for, like, 200 years, because um, you have to actively maintain it. And I think that does involve, like, interrogating these student organizations that... Um, where it's like AAA is Asian American Alliance still a relevant title? Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a very careful tension between like honoring the people who founded it, but also knowing that like a lot has changed since the 70s. Um, and that's a good thing. And, and we should be willing to kind of adapt to the times and like, I guess, change our expectations as well. Exactly. I think that is so, that's so key and something I'm grappling with because there is such like a, sort of a nostalgia in the legacy, but when that overshadows the current experiences of students on campus, I think that means something has to change. And this is true for AAA, this is true for Oberlin as a whole. Yeah, and um, I guess while we're on the subject, I did bring it up, but um, did you want to briefly talk about like why you were thinking about changing the title of AAA from Asian American Alliance? Yeah, this is something that me and a bunch of other people have always grappled with. Um, because 
we started looking at other colleges and what they're sort of equivalent to triple A is. And there's a lot of ones that are like AAPIDA, which is like Asian American Pacific Islanders, DESI, um, American diaspora, um, sort of including all of these different, um, whatchamacallit, <laughs> the letters in the acronym. Um, and so we thought about doing that. But then in the other teach-in that the MRC did, um, one of the alums was talking about how AAPI likes to put in the PI to seem like diverse, but then oftentimes doesn't actually include anybody of Pacific Islander origin. And so who are we to like claim this identity and this name when the experiences are so diverse and different? Um, and then are we even centering their voices in that? Um, so this is like a lot that we're considering. Um, and also we sort of wanted to open up to international students as well, because there is also a different, like they're still, you know, coded as Asian in America, but they might not have that. They're not American, you know, they're international students. So, but we wanted the space to still be able to foster relationships between um, students of all Asian descent, diaspora, um, no matter the nationality. So that's why we were sort of leaning towards Asians in America Alliance, where it maintains, you know, triple A, but then sort of broadens, yeah, broadens the identity, especially since like Asian American is such like a politicized identity, like you said, from the 70s, um, that, you know, we wanted to make it more inclusive in that way. But we'll we'll probably still be talking about this, you know, into the future and wondering what the best solution is, if there is one. And speaking of the future, I wanted to ask you, like, with the festival coming up and everything, um, what are you most looking forward to, to the future of AAA in general? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. I really am interested and hopeful for the conference um, that's supposed to happen in 2022. And so that'll be our senior year. So I think that, you know, a lot of us could really get involved and invested in this, um, especially since there hasn't been one in four years. Um, so I'm really excited for that. I'm also a lot of the interest that we've had so far in AAA has been around community building, which I'm also very, you know, I'm pro community building in addition to like, you know, political activism and stuff as we are, you know, chartered as a political org. But um Lots of people are talking about food events and, you know, hosting like holiday events or just creating a general calendar of all of the um, important events and holidays in all of the Asian traditions that we have on campus. Um, because I think there's so much, there's a lot, it's so special to be able to celebrate something that is important to you with other people and to have that sort of appreciation shared. Um, so... I think I'm looking forward to a lot, but definitely just being in community with people, especially coming out of this pandemic when everyone's, you know, vaccinated, when we go back to the regular, like, two semesters, like, system with everyone on campus. Um, I think I'm just so excited to be with people in a space. Well, Elise, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to it as well. And just especially what you said about the community building, I think that's so important. So thank you so much for your time and best of luck with planning the rest of the festival and I will see you soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're listening to WOBC Oberlin, 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. This is The Weekly. Thank you for listening. This next interview is with fifth year Amber Schur, who spearheaded the Asian Cultural Arts Festival that was held on May 4th, 2021. Amber, thank you so much for joining me. 
Um, I guess just to get started, I wanted to know uh, how involved you were in AAA before this year and um, and why why you like it. Yeah, actually, I, I was just talking about this with one of my roommates because I think he's been involved before. I actually didn't get involved with any like identity-based orgs until this year. I've done like like student like government type organizations um and kind of just gotten really into administrative work but I think that was partly because of I'm like half Asian so my like racial identity is uh, somewhat ambiguous to me and I didn't feel like a particular connection to it until I think starting like last school year I started thinking about it a lot more and then over the last year thinking about it and like self-reflecting on it a lot more so I felt like this was the first time I like really had a desire to like embrace that part of my identity and like the like an identity-based org. Yeah could you talk more about maybe if anything happened over the last year that really motivated you to explore that more? Yeah um I guess part of it was very sudden part of it very gradual like uh I, I remember having this conversation with my mom this past winter break actually where I was sort of thinking back on my college years and like just I don't know generally reflecting on it and I think I had this realization that I had slowly realized that a lot of the maltreatment I think I had received at times from colleagues or professors I was pretty sure was motivated on the basis of like gender or race and I had never thought about that before and I think when I sort of let myself realize that as a result of like watching hate crimes as a trend like go just completely out of control against Asians and like the kinds of like I don't know like vitriolic like words and sentiments expressed in like I don't know even the highest forms of government (laughs) in this country I think it started to hit me a lot because I and I think it hit me a lot just I growing up I never watched personally or witnessed Asian Americans or Asians in America be like so overtly attacked I think it's very subtle and so I think growing up I didn't even think it was like possible or think it was a thing and I remember being very stunned and kind of taken aback when I saw like the stop Asian hate hashtagging and everything on Instagram because it was so different from the norm that and I think a lot of other students were sort of take Asian students were taken aback by that also because not used to being in the limelight in a positive or negative sense always like existing somewhere in the middle so I feel like all of these events sort of made me really concretely think about like what do I identify with and like how do I naturally react to things and what does that say about like genuinely what is my identity like just one mm-hmm. anecdote was last summer my boyfriend who's Chinese American he I went to visit him in his hometown which is in Nashville Tennessee and we were walking down the street in this small town called Gatlinburg and it, there were like Trump paraphernalia like everywhere these giant billboards that was like we love Trump and Trump loves us and I was like okay so this is like the vibe here and there were a lot of people walking around like no masks on and I was with my boyfriend's parents who were speaking quite loudly in Chinese and I remember feeling kind of ashamed I had this reaction of I like was like wanting them to speak in English or wanting them to like 
speak more quietly because I remember being like genuinely afraid that someone was going to hear them speaking Chinese and just like flip out at us. And I think those things were sort of instigators in my recognizing a more broad, like drawn out pattern that had occurred like throughout my life since. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Thank you for sharing. And and that was very eloquently put. And um, and while you were talking, I thought back to how I I think um, historically, you're right, like we haven't really learned a lot about periods where Asian Americans were very, like very overt victims of, of racial violence. But in school, we never learned about Asians in history class. Um, so I think that definitely contributes to like that feeling of like always kind of feeling on the margins, even though you're surrounded, even if you're living in a community where you're surrounded by people like you. So so I guess uh, pivoting a bit, actually. Um, well, thank you for sharing. And um, I, I did want to uh, talk about the festival, too. Um, but I guess since we're on the subject... Um, you know, you, as a as a fifth year for you, um, I find it really admirable that you're still very committed to the organization um, and still want to have this festival going on. So, like for you personally, like what motivates you to 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 um, to help out AAA for I guess future years of students? Yeah. Um. So I'm on student senate as the conservatory liaison. This is my second semester mm-hmm. on it, and I I think I. Typical to me, I don't know, I kind of like I mentioned earlier, I've never been as um, like educated or self-aware about like racial identity and stuff until pretty recently. And I, I think I had this moment in like early March of realization that there were three senators at the time who were all Asian women who had all dropped out. And at that point, they were the only people who had dropped out because I think they felt overworked overwhelmed under supported and it was very under the rug like it just they would like they'd be removed from the chat someone new would be added and and then I think the third time that happened I just like stared at it and was like how is like no one commenting about this or realizing that all three of them were Asian women like and this happened to be about a week and a half or two weeks before the March 16th um, shootings in Atlanta. So it was, I, the timing was like tragic, but also kind of serendipitous in a way. Um, So I was just thinking like, I've never been one to um, like really hammer, like this is my identity. I want to like be representative. I want to like defend it and like do things to uphold other Asian Americans and other Asians. But I think when I realized that, that those three women or young women had to leave because there had been this like lack of solidarity, it kind of like inflamed something. (laughs) And then I think especially after March 16th, I was just very upset, very angry because I don't know, it's just not a group that typically gets like mass solidarity or support within or without and I think that was a huge motivator I was like I have to do like something one thing even to kind of try in my own way in my like very limited capacity to celebrate and to like be proud of this stuff rather than just being I don't know 
sort of marginalized or when given attention in the form of pity. I was like, I don't want that. I don't like that. I want to do something like different and I want to do something that is like focused on like what Asians are actually doing and like enjoying doing and like thriving doing. So I think it was like very emotionally motivated. And I, I've run like many events, like most of them much smaller than this in Oberlin. So it's kind of a familiar terrain for me. Um, so I think it was just the only way I felt like I could react in a strong way to everything that's been said. So it was very fueled. That makes sense. So yeah, could you talk a bit more about like maybe how the idea for a specific cultural festival came about from all of these things that happened? Yeah, I guess at first it was just gonna be just music because I'm a pianist and I know a lot of Asian musicians on campus so that was kind of what I naturally gravitated towards but then someone suggested the idea of like expanding it a bit so now there are gonna be poets performing and I'm really excited there is like such a wide variety of musics being performed. Um, there's an original jazz composition that's also, I think, based in a lot of Japanese folk instruments and tunes by Noah Kawaguchi. And there's like electroacoustic music, there are, there are classical music works, there are dance performances, there's a dance performance by um, Sasa. And so it kind of just came together, especially once the suggestion was made to just open it up to various kinds of arts. I think people like I was really pleasantly surprised. People reacted strongly and positively, and they were like, I want to do this. And then the kind of, I guess, slightly bittersweet part of that was it came up that we sort of were realizing this doesn't really happen ever, like, on this campus. Like, there's the... One of my roommates was telling me there's, like, the Asian night market that usually happens every year, and that's somewhat similar, but not on, like, this big a scale or this, like, publicized to, like, the whole campus to attend. Um, which I was like, well, we're hoping... I was having a meeting with Sasa earlier, and we're hoping to convince, like, Shanzi organization and, like, the MRC to try making this an annual thing. Just, like, intercultural Asian arts event. Because, I don't know, there are a lot of really great artists on this campus, and they're just, like, flying under the radar right now. Yeah, no, that sounds excellent. And I was just thinking, like, there, Asia, well, Asia is so broad, um, but also there's so many such, like, vibrant, beautiful traditions that exist within it that I think more people could definitely learn about. And even myself, like, I, there's a lot I don't know about Asian traditions and performances and, and culture. Um, and I would love to learn more about it. Um, so, so what was the time like, the timeline like in terms of, like, when you start to plan and how this is coming together? Oh, gosh. It's, very fast um i yeah like i mentioned earlier originally i was thinking about something i was just like starting to have a reaction in early march and then i think i just like fully lost it after like the march 16th event and i was like really upset about the whole thing and like wanted to do something and i think i had a senior recital for graduation which is like a massive task on march 28th so i think it was a little i could only like semi get things started but i think once that was passed it really started kicking off the ground so it's been i think throughout the month of april 
So, so what was the rest of the planning like? I know you mentioned um, Sasa and reaching out to Shanxi, but um, I mean, you mentioned how people were very receptive, but like, I guess once the idea got started, how did you go about uh, planning and reaching out to people? Yeah, that was a challenge, actually. I wanted pretty quickly, I tend to be a little bit controlling, but that also results sometimes in me taking on too much work. So I tried to very intentionally delegate tasks this time. And I reached out to a number of Asian students who I personally knew and just asked, like, would you want to help plan this? Yes or no. And then I took those people and put them in like a group me chat. And um, along with a couple other senators. And from there, it was a bit challenging, I guess. Um, like, I, I wish that we had gotten in touch with, like, Sasa and, honestly, AAA earlier than we had. AAA we've been, like, working with for a while, but Sasa, like, yeah, we kind of only recently in the, like, last week we're really getting in touch with them. Um, so that was kind of a struggle. I think as people are busy and, like, that's kind of, I don't know, frankly, in, like, organization, delegating tasks is also risky because... You never know if they're going to get done. Um, so that was kind of a challenge. And actually, I sent out like an all-school email on Sunday. The ads and like info about this had been in a couple Senate, like, Senate weekly emails, but kind of buried. Um, and like I know I don't read those. Like No one reads those because they're so long. Um, but I sent like a specific one on Sunday about this event. And that got like a really big response. Like a lot of people emailed me with questions or wanting to submit things, which was good to know people hadn't heard about it because that's a problem. So now I think a lot of people have, a lot more people have heard about it and the pre-registration um, document has gotten a lot of activity and a lot of people have signed up already, which is really exciting. So it's kind of just, I don't know, getting, reaching out was something I wanted to do from the beginning because I don't like the idea of something that's very identity focused just being like a student senate event just didn't make sense to me. Um, so I tried to be very intentional about that, but it was kind of tricky getting in touch with everyone and making mm -hmm. sure like a lot of students knew about it is hard. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming you probably had to set up like a schedule events and everything too. Yeah. Yeah, so so like is there anything left that you still have to work on? Yes. A lot of things very rapidly have come together in the last couple of days. Um like we have a lot like 12 or 13 performances in. Um funding was like suddenly kind of a scary issue because SFC isn't like funding anything anymore, so the Shanzi mm -hmm. organization and the Office of Student Life are funding the big things, which is really, really nice. Um, but basically at this point, now that they're funding that, we just have to pick what food to order up to like $700 worth. So that's nice. And we just have to pick which items to order, order it, pick it up, um, and like make programs and just keep advertising it. But I guess part of the advantage of a lot of it 
being this like pre-recorded format is we have a video editor who's kind of stringing it together and adding um, like title cards on each piece or each performance, which is a lot logistically simpler than actually having live performances. So it's a kind of a trade-off there. Um, But yeah, probably the day of will be a big making sure everyone knows what's going on, setting things up, organizing Volunteers, like I think Sasa's gonna volunteer and help us, like registering people, passing out food. Um, yeah, so there's gonna be a lot of like day of type things, but the logistical things I think are going pretty smooth now. Awesome. Yeah, and I guess like, you know, as the events come in together, uh, what are you most excited about? Ooh, I don't, I don't, I guess. I, the scary thing running events is always you do not know how it's gonna go. Like, people could not show up. People could, like, not be that into it. Um, like, no matter how hard you work, that could always still happen. So I think that's, like a, like, a fear I hold with me. So I think just sitting at the event once it's, like, going and just watching people, like, eating, smiling, like hanging out with friends, just literally just watching them enjoy any part of it would definitely be what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm really excited about the idea of it because it just sounds like a very positive and vibrant like celebration of everything rather than, you know, after what happened in Atlanta, it was it felt more like a collective mourning, but I think it's also important to celebrate people from these regions as well. So I guess that ties into my next question, where I was wondering, um, why do you think it's important to have a cultural festival specifically, and also to revitalize AAA and and give people, Asian people, that cultural space? Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I don't know. I'm doing a lot of thinking about this lately. I'm, like, signed up to do the book club thing on Thursday, so I'm reading the Kathy Park Hong book called minor feelings and she is very angry and like understandably so in the book and i think it mirrors a lot of frustration that i have felt um sort of like as an asian person in this year specifically where just generally speaking like my personal experience and a lot of my close friends like Asian people are, like, extremely creative and resourceful, intelligent, like, articulate, all of these different things, and I think they tend to, like, I don't know. The the author has, like, so many good ways of wording it that I don't have, but I kind of feel like Asians are enculturated in a lot of ways to always be taking a backseat, and I think I was starting to lose my cool with that a little bit over the last year. Um, so there were a lot of like really distressing and tragic things just in so many different sectors of life that happened over the last year. And I consistently felt this implication or pressure as like an Asian person to take a backseat and then to take a backseat and like repeatedly so. And then even the, the things that I did struggle with and that people I know struggled. It was always very subtle. It was like not overt. It was like a teacher pressuring you to do extra work or getting a lower grade than a classmate who did less work than you did or the way someone talks to you or 
I've had more than my fair share of like experiences with like yellow fever on this campus and like the kind of weeb culture that is a little like in a gray area in terms of how it makes Asian people feel. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think all of it was so subtle that it felt very like invalidated to me. And then not only that, but I think Asians tend not to be these like very boisterous extroverted presences who like want or demand for their personal achievements or personal excellence to be recognized. I think that's like, the, it's just a common trait that a lot of Asian people share, whether it's enculturated in, I don't know, however it is taught to us and passed down or how innate it is, I don't know. Like I'm a psych major, so I feel like I think about this stuff a lot. Um, but I guess I wanted something where we could have that kind of space and have that kind of like moment and say like, no, like Noah's an amazing saxophone player. He composed this 22 minute piece. It's amazing. Or like these pianists all play these works on their recitals. They're like amazing at the piano. They're like one of the best music schools like in America. And like one of them is like going to Stanford for med school next year. Like they're all like incredible individuals and i think not one of them that i know personally usually has had the space or desire to just stand up and be like i achieved this i'm really proud of this this is interesting this art is beautiful and unique and i want to share it and i want people to like understand it and so i think i really i think Re resent is too strong a word but I think when I saw the like stop Asian hate and I like wrote this kind of heated op-ed about this a couple weeks ago and when I saw that I did not appreciate it fully I guess like I appreciate obviously people disagreeing with the concept of anti-Asian racism that's like a good starting place but I guess to me it felt somewhat disingenuous because I had never heard anyone express like particular non-sexualized interest in Asians and Asian culture or express that kind of solidarity until it was like a social media fad and until it had gone way way too far until the anti-Asian racism had gone way too far like and we had just watched it happen and I remember being confused the school released a statement in like March being like anti-Asian racism bad and I was like we're on hate crime like 3600 right now why <laughs> why are you releasing this now like it's good to release it but how could it possibly have taken this long to write like a four paragraph thing that doesn't even have action points in it so i think i was watching all of this happen and realizing like in my head like no this is not made up like you're not making this up your struggles and other Asian people's struggles are not made up and shouldn't be invalidated the way they normally are. And so I felt like being more concerted about being like, no, we're here. Like we are in all of our own ways, unique and excellent at what we do. And I want to like be very bold and celebratory about that rather than kind of like I mentioned earlier, having attention on us be negative or in the form of like, a sort of performative pity. I was just like, no, I'm not about that. That was very, very well said. And um, I totally get it because like, we don't really have the space to be loud 
And I think it, it speaks to how, like, again, historically, we've been known to be, like, politically silent, or we think that's better for us, or it's better to stay out of trouble. And uh, this is something I talked about, like, last week with my co-host Owen, but I wrote an article about this sort of racism, like, literally a year ago, like, March 2020, and I totally agree with you, where when I saw the hashtag, I was like, did it really take over a year to get, a t like, a Twitter hashtag and that's it? Like, this has been going on for a while, and not even just this past year, but, like, literally for centuries, and we just haven't known about it, um, or people aren't just, we're never talking about it. So I definitely agree with you. Yeah. So, okay, so, um, yeah, well, thank you so much for your time, and the the last question I have is just, is there anything else you'd like to add, or maybe plug about the festival? I guess, I don't know, I think the thing I am most happy and proud of is seeing how like inter interdepartmental interdisciplinary it is because i am i don't know since i'm a double degree student and i'm like mixed race i'm very accustomed to seeing like divisions and just like recognizing them or seeing two sides or two different en entities in the same thing and so seeing things kind of like come together like this, like having jazz and Tamara and classical music and pop music and um, J-pop music and poetry and like a dance performance, like all of this stuff all together, students, con, college, double degree, like fifth year, first year, I think it's pretty uncommon actually here. I have, like I mentioned earlier, I this is like my third full year doing this kind of stuff. And that's, in my experience, not common at all. And I think it's something Oberlin students all wish was, like, better. But it's a very hard, like, systemic thing to tackle. Like, people naturally kind of form their bubbles. But I'm really happy, like, how many people I'm getting to meet doing this and how many people are, like, happy to come together and have this, like, common desire and passion for the arts as Asian people. And so I think that's the thing I'm, like, really really happy and really excited about just like the mixture and like how ready and willing and like happy everyone was to sort of come together and just like about this kind of thing in general was like really nice to see and mm -hmm. yeah I think that's the thing I'm most excited about that's like kind of special to me yeah well all sounds great I'm just really happy that now like these organizations and people are are getting the space to showcase their talent in a, in a really positive way too Amber, thank you so much for your time. I loved getting to speak with you. And um, thank you for sharing all of your, your stories and everything and, and for your vulnerability and for your honesty. And um, it, it was really refreshing to get to talk about this with you. Yeah, you too. It's really nice to meet you. You're listening to WOBC Oberlin, 91.5 FM, Oberlin College, and Community Radio. This has been The Weekly. All previously aired episodes of The Weekly are publicly available online. You can listen to them at anchor.fm forward slash the weekly.